you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. And if you don't uh, have a Bible, there is one in the pew in front of you probably, or have been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And we come uh, coming closer and closer to the last really few months of, of the life of Jesus on the earth, and we come to chapter 9. It's what's called the Transfiguration event, and it's quite an amazing thing. We already referenced that we've been thinking about Peter, how he's kind of had a up-and-down role in the last few passages we've read. We like to to say that he, I'd call it the Grand Slam Homer in the last game of the World Series when he confesses in verse 29 of chapter 8, you are the Christ. You know, Jesus had been quizzing them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ. Beautiful words, powerful words. You you got it right. Uh, It's interesting. Matthew records clearly that Jesus then said, uh, Matthew, uh, Peter, God revealed that to you. That's how you knew that. That's how you said that. Um, And a verse that I'm going to be referring to later is in 1 Corinthians 12.3. It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Is this amazing spiritual truth that is that God must reveal the truth to us and that's when we see it, that's when we understand it, and that's when we can confess it. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, he's absolutely right. You're the Messiah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the prophesied one. And again, uh, the last few weeks I've been mentioning that the Bible, uh, the what we call the Old Testament. At the time when the Bible was written, it was the only testament. Um, and for the Jews, they called it the Tanakh. The, it was the law, the prophets, and the writings. Uh, and that was there, again, for, for the sake of argument, we'll just call it the Old Testament. Um, <laughs> it's just filled with prophecies about Jesus and the, the times of Jesus filled with prophecies about the Messiah, more accurately stated. So when Peter said, you are the Christ, and the author, Mark, who records this, that's only the second time he uses this word in his gospel. He's been saving it, waiting, can't wait to whip this out. It's perfect, it's beautiful. This is a highlight uh, in his gospel, and Peter says it. And then what happens, the very next thing is Jesus takes him aside and explains what it means to be the Messiah. The Messiah, yes, is powerful and wonderful and yes, will bring political deliverance for Israel. And they're all thinking, come on, rout those Romans. It's kind of a poem they had, in fact, just revealed to me. No, (laughs) kidding about that, but they definitely were oppressed by the Romans, and the Romans had capricious power. They could kill people at will, Um, and they wanted to get rid of them. There were whole political parties that were based on that in in Israel at this time. So 
Jesus says, listen, to be the Messiah, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'll be put through a trial, and I'm going to rise the third day. Well, remember what happened was Peter took him aside and decided to rebuke him uh, for this. You know, like Peter says to Jesus, listen, you just don't know what you're talking about. I have a much better plan for you, and it does not include this path you've described. All I could hear was crucifixion, or all I could hear was die, die, die. I didn't hear the resurrection part. So he rebukes him, and Jesus says to him what? Get behind me. Get behind me, Satan. So he goes from hitting a Grand Slam homer in the World Series, which means you're the best guy in the world. I mean, if you ever get to do that, they interview baseball players if that ever happens. And they said, this is what I've been dreaming of my entire life. This, you know, since I was in Little League, since I was in T-ball. You know, it's the high point of American sports. That's why we call it the World Series. <laughs> if the world would just think right, they would understand that this is the best sport. <laughs> uh, it's the top, the top, the top. He goes from the top to the bottom. And we call him Satan. Uh, so Jesus has some encouragement uh, for him today, really. Uh, it includes him bumbling around a little bit, but still, overall, it's encouraging. Let me read the text then in Mark chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God, after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. That's the Greek word, metamorphosized. He was like the butterfly coming out of the cocoon, the chrysalis, uh, you know, Totally changed. You were a worm and now you're a butterfly. Metamorphosis. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white. As no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter, I've often wondered, I know it's a little bit silly, but how did they know it was Elijah and Moses? They had name tags, it turns out. <laughs> no, it's a silly joke, I'm sorry. Uh, it, they knew somehow. The whole thing is about revelation. They knew Elijah and Moses. We'll, we'll talk about this more later. But, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say. For they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they, saw, they, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. We're going to stop there uh, for the sake of our sermon today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this interesting 
recording of this event in the life of the apostles, particularly Peter, James, and John. And uh, our prayer request is that you would open our hearts and minds. We depend on you to open our hearts and minds to see, to understand what you have for us. So please, O oh Lord, speak to each of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So this event, which is very remarkable, very unusual, again, a one-off event, didn't happen before, didn't happen again. Um, it's, it is recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, very important event. Uh, it's introduced, I think, in a very interesting way and uh, somewhat confusing. And he said to them, truly, this is his format for saying something really powerfully, really emphatically, truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death. That's not too confusing. He's saying there's some people right here, right now, who are not going to die until what? Until they see, and that is to observe, to look at, to see, until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So, again, I think this is a nice little confusing introduction. I'm like, what? And particularly from our perspective. Because, uh, in a way, we would say, hey, uh, we're still waiting for the kingdom to come. Uh, we'd like to see that. We'd like to see Christ on the earth. We'd, we'd like to see him ruling. Uh, we'd like to see peace, the Prince of Peace. We'd like to see no more war. Uh, we'd like to see uh, all of these promises of the Messiah. We'd like to see those things. Well, it's not too enigmatic because all three of the texts tie this, I call it an introduction, to get our attention, uh, tie it into the transfiguration, into this event where you could start to see visually the power of Jesus, uh, the reality of who he was. Sometimes I think that they had no problem knowing Jesus was fully man because they were with him all the time. He fell asleep on the boat. He was eating with them. Just in, a, in some ways, he seemed like a regular guy, although he had, was doing all these miracles, which they seemed to often forget, right? They had no problem seeing his human, humanness. Sometimes I think uh, we have a problem seeing his humanness. And, and what we see in the bigger picture is his divine nature, the fact that he's God. We see that real easy, easily. Uh, but sometimes we think, uh, is he really man? But for them, I think it was kind of the opposite because he's there with them. And they're going to see this coming reality. Uh, they're going to see that Jesus is the kingdom of God ultimately and he definitely has power, which they've experienced over and over again already. You know, massive miracles they've seen Jesus do, uh, remotely healing people, uh, healing the blind, feeding thousands of people. This is great power uh, that they have. So it is kind of an interesting uh, introduction, but I think, again, all three of the synoptics tie it directly in. Notice the language of verse 2. And after six days, 
Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. That would be some who are standing here. And they're going to see the kingdom of God. They're going to observe the power of God's kingdom very clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's look at this. The, he takes them on a, a walk. I, I, I like walking. Uh, I like hiking. And actually, my son Soren is here. He's, the, he's of the London Wrens. He came the farthest. That's why he's the thinnest, I suppose. <laughs> uh, he and I had a great experience some time ago. I don't remember what year exactly, 08 or 07. We, with, with another guy in our church, we climbed the highest mountain peak in the lower 48 states, which is Mount Whitney. Uh, we, we came up from the southern side. We camped uh, three nights before we made our summit on the, the fourth day. And that is an amazing uh, experience, a huge climb, very difficult. And I think kind of interestingly, right, if you've been studying through the Gospel of Mark with me, Jesus has kind of been trying to get away from the crowds off and on. He'll get in the boat and go over to the other side and found out they ran ahead of him. There's this open crowd there. Uh, then he taught them and healed them for three days and then, then fed them. Uh, but several times he's tried to get away. Well, now he's going to get away. He's going to climb the high mountain. And well, there's no Mount Whitney uh, available to him, but he does climb this difficult climb up the hill. He takes Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There's something valuable about pausing and thinking about that. It's good to be alone sometimes. Good to be quiet. Uh, good to be alone with God. It's good to put in some exertion, some planning, and uh, take the hike to be alone with God at times. So he takes them up there, and he's transfigured. As I said, that's the Greek word metamorphosis. He becomes bright, white, shining. The other Gospels say his face looked different too. This, again, I, I'm, I guess I'm feeling slightly silly today, but verse 3 sort of sounds like a great laundry detergent ad, you know? Uh, brighter than any other detergent could make his clothes. Uh, very, very unusual sight. He starts to shine before their eyes. They're dazzled before uh, Jesus. And several artists have tried to capture that moment. You can, you can only imagine what's going on. Suddenly they see. the. You know, they, they were used to looking at the human form and then God kind of you know, pulls back the curtain, opens the window a little bit, and they suddenly see that, well, Jesus is different. <laughs> He's powerful. Uh, He's the glory of God. Uh, a glory shines forth from Him. I think one important question is, is this a, a change in the nature of Jesus? Is this something that happened, that altered in him uh, when he got up on that mountain? Or, or isn't it saying that this has been there all along? The, the, his true nature is there all along. It's just being revealed to them in, at this moment. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is. 
And to be honest with you, I think if there's something to take home from this, that is an important lesson. You and I look at the world and we see, you know, dimensions. We see dark and we see light. We see flowers. We see water. We see fish. We, uh, we, we, just, we see the world, right? And it looks empirical. It's, it's there. It's something you can study and measure and know. But is there something deeper and more glorious behind all of it? Well, yeah, absolutely. The Bible actually says that. The heavens declare the glory of God. Nature is to reveal something deeper and bigger and more wonderful than what you actually see. So in a sense here, this is the way we should be growing into. And I think growth in spiritual life, growth in a biblical understanding of the world is to see God's revelation everywhere, always. And to be just as marveling at the b- growth of a blade of grass or, or the birth of a baby or anything that God reveals. Because the Bible says over and over, of him and through him and to him are a lot of different things. <laughs> No, that's not what the Bible says. Of him, through him, and to him are all things. And uh, in Greek, the phrase is just tapanta, which means the all. The all. So this pulpit is quite literally held together by God, and it reveals God's nature in some way that we're to grow into seeing. So this is most marvelous and fantastic. And uh, we probably won't see something quite this wonderful on this earth as seeing a glowing individual. But by faith, we should be able to see God always and everywhere as we grow into faith. So uh, this is actually a picture from a scene in the um, the Ring, Lord of the Rings movies. I'm a big fan of those. I know it's kind of old. All of my culture references are like 15 years old, so I'm sorry. <laughs> it was good back then. <laughs> but there's still great movies. This is a scene where Gandalf is the kind of the lead and the guide, kind of like a Christ figure uh, in, in the book, a little bit like that. And he, he's gone. He has died. He fell, and he, he fought the, the bell rock. He fought the, the demon. He fought the Satan uh, thing. Uh, he fought, fought, fought hard, and he won, ultimately. And then he kind of dies laying on top of a mountain. And then he comes back to life. Uh, kind of a resurrection. I'll, I'm certainly going to use a lot of kind ofs. It's not, uh, not like exactly, but kind of. And then, and here are three of his close followers, his friends, who haven't seen him. They're sure he's dead. He's gone. And he re- reveals himself to them in, in these woods, and it's a bright, shining light that they're terrified of. In fact, they try to kill him. They shoot uh, things at him, and uh, he's able to obviously deflect all of those shots, and he shines forth and declares himself to be no longer Gandalf the Grey, you know, the sort of mundane image that you thought I was, but he's, he's Gandalf the, the White. He's bright and clear, and he is the Messiah. This is what happens. 
he begins to shine brightly. And then look at uh, what happens also, right, in verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. If you're a Bible student, you've heard these words before, these names, Elijah and Moses. Elijah, if you were raised in a Jewish home, you would have a Seder once a year, and you'd have an empty seat around the table. Who's the seat for? Elijah. They're expecting him to come because he's the herald of the Messiah. And in a way, John the Baptist clearly played that role. He was the Elijah uh, of the real Jesus, the real Messiah who was to come. But Elijah was a great prophet, symbolic of the prophets in the uh, Tanakh. Now, and Moses, of course, uh, was the greatest first prophet, and he was the author of the five books of the Bible, the first five books, called the Pentateuch. He's the author of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So in, in a way here, we have represented the, what I've been calling the Old Testament, uh, the, the law, Moses, and the, the prophets, Elijah. And they're just chatting it up with Jesus. You know, they're they're kind of having some fellowship there. Uh, they're talking with Jesus. They're not opposed to Jesus. They're not his enemies. Uh, Jesus is completely fulfilling everything that they have prophesied. Uh, it's a natural gathering of, of uh, what, again, what we'd call Old Testament and New Testament. The, the, it's one Bible, one message. Uh, Jesus would say several times, the Old he doesn't say the Old Testament. I know I keep stumbling over that. Forgive me. <laughs> the, but the, the scriptures speak of me, he would say over and over again. Uh, and so the Old Testament here, Elijah and Moses, is pointing to Jesus, and they're comfortable with him. Okay, now let's move on to, to dear, dear Peter. Uh, I don't want to be too hard on him. Um, he's the guy who he has to say something. <laughs> there was a moment of silence, so I had to say something. <laughs> uh, and, and what he says is actually not that bad. I mean, it's, it's not like he's rebuking Jesus for hanging out with Elijah and Moses or anything like that. He says, uh, verse 5, and, and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, which is a, means my teacher, my leader, it, the, it is good that we are here. That is so true, Peter. You nailed that one. <laughs> this, I would love to be here with him. This is great. Uh, you've made the climb and you've seen Jesus in his glory. You've seen the kingdom of God coming in power. Yes, it is good to be here. Let us make three tents. You know, the Jews... Jews had a, a feast of booths, feast of tents. Uh, they would stay in tents. Uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Orthodox Jews still do this today. They build tents out behind their house, and they, for once a year, they live out there for seven days or eight days and have a wonderful party. Uh, so he's saying, let's have some tents here. Uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Again, not a bad thing. It's just, just sort of silly in the context. 
Jesus doesn't even answer him in this text. Uh, verse 6 explains it. He says, for he did not know what to say. <laughs> the implication is, well, I had to say something. No, you don't have to say something. There's a lesson in here for us to not say something all the time. Let it be. Enjoy the moment. Breathe it in. Uh, understand uh, what's going on here. Meditate on it. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Well, well said. I found this little quote from Benjamin Franklin, which kind of fits here. Uh, this is it right there. <laughs> Remember, not only to say the right thing in the right place, but far more difficult still to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. I, I myself, without giving you any details, have definitely suffered from that. I, I usually regret things that I said. <laughs> um, and there's times that I regret that I didn't say something, but they're far fewer because I can replay the things I said and kick myself over and over again <laughs> and usually cause myself so much more trouble uh, than was necessary. So, dear Peter, uh, we're just going to, you know, if, if he hit the Grand Slam, that was, that was super positive. Then when he rebukes Jesus, yeah, it's super negative. Really bad. And this fits into the meh category, okay? Sort of in the middle, okay, it wasn't that bad, but you shouldn't have said it. Uh, didn't need to say that. Okay, but thank goodness God's plan goes on, <laughs> even without us. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. Uh, this is one of the very few times an actual voice, God speaks from heaven. I think it happens three times in, in the Bible. And he says something that sounds kind of familiar. It sounds like what happened at the baptism of Jesus. Uh, it is similar. This is my beloved son. I love this one, God says. He is my beloved son. Listen to him. This is really the main point. Uh, that's why we went through all of this. Listen to Jesus. Uh, he is the source of truth. He's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen to him. The law and the prophets are fulfilled in this beloved son. Listen to Jesus. And look how the text lays it out for us here. Uh, very, this is a command, by the way. It's, you know, verse 7, in other words. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. That's command from God. Listen to Jesus. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. It's like that. Jesus only. The ultimate thing is Jesus is the revelation of God. He he fulfills all of the law and the prophets. Uh, we, should, we should love the law and the prophets. We should study the law and the prophets uh, and, and know that they are fulfilled in Jesus and they point to Jesus. So the, the message is listen to Jesus. You might say, okay, then we could have a really short Bible. Just the words of Jesus and uh, just the red letters, you know? Let's just publish that and ignore all the rest. Okay, tempting, but that's not what Jesus said, okay? 
Jesus said, I have chosen the, dis- the disciples to be my apostles, and they will speak for me, and the Holy Spirit will reveal to them uh, everything about me. So we have the New Testament in the life of Jesus in the Gospels, and then we have the epistles that explain more and more about Jesus. Here, here's the uh, text for that, one of the texts. This is John 16, 12. This is Jesus speaking. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. This is just like on the eve of the crucifixion. He says, I've got a whole lot of content for you, but you're in no, no space to hear it right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me. For He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. So again, there's the principle that I'm drawing out here. Jesus is... You listen to Jesus, and as we know Jesus through the New Testament, through the the prophets, uh, through the uh, Gospels, and through the epistles. We know who He is, and we're to know Him, and study Him, and trust Him, and uh, know He is the power of God. Know He is the Savior. Know He is the one we can fully trust. So, let's just... I'm going to wrap it up here. This, This is what I've been thinking about. Our applications for today. Encourage us, first of all, to follow this simple example. Take some mountain time. You know, we've been in the middle of the family reunion, which has been super fun. We had all the folks together yesterday and, and again most of today. And I was walking through the alley. We did most of it at the church here yesterday because we had too many people for our home. <laughs> I was walking through the alley and I just paused and took like four minutes all alone. It wasn't a mountaintop, but it was an alleyway. <laughs> but I, I just took some breaths and prayed and thought through the day. In the middle of, of hurry, take some rest. And their example is to do something like a retreat, you know, get away uh, alone. Think about who Jesus is and uh, meditate on his power and his glory. Secondly, uh, see the glory of Jesus. We, we come to worship Jesus Christ. We worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, we fully worship Jesus. He's worthy of our praise and our trust completely. And we, we begin to see His glory all over in all that He does. Uh, thirdly, know that the law and the prophets fully support Jesus. Um, this is partly the message here. Elijah and Moses, the major parts, prophets, and the law of what we call the Old Testament, don't contradict Jesus. They support him. And he fulfills everything that the Old Testament speaks of. Uh, We have one message in the Bible. And here's, fourthly, keep your mouth shut. (laughs) You know, let's just remember that. Remember Peter who blurted out something he didn't need to. Uh, some kind of principle of counting to 10, or in some cases 20. Uh, (laughs) 
And then finally, uh, as I said, this is the main point, the final point here. God commands us to listen to Jesus. It's not an option. It's a command. We should be listening to him, knowing him, and trusting him, and growing in our faith more and more so that we see his glory in everything that he has made.